I just want to say happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> and um, I wanted to read to you from Psalms 23, verse 6. And I think it's an appropriate scripture to read given that today is Valentine's Day. And I don't think that you would think it's the most conventional, but it says, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. And that's something that the Lord was just just working in me this week, I read something um, by Christine Kane, a devotional, and it just talked about the goodness of God. Amen. Because the goodness of God is just simply that, that God is good. And we can count on his unfailing love and his faithfulness. And when I was reading this verse over and over, and as I was thinking about Valentine's Day, it's the perfect example of that unconditional love, that unfailing love, that faithfulness that endures. Amen. And that's the simple definition of what love is too. But when we think about God's goodness is what he's done in and through us and how we are called to be a, a witness, a barrier of, of carrying that message to the world. Sometimes we get caught up in trying to set up this perfect example, trying to choose the perfect words. But all we need to do is just allow the goodness of God, of what he's done that flows in and through us, be that demonstration of who he is to this world. And I had an, ex I had an opportunity to do that this week, and I was just praising God because he is good. He sets up perfect opportunities. He sets up those divine appointments. And I can't help but to praise him for it. Amen. So let's go before the Lord in prayer. And then I'll bring you some announcements. The Lord, we just want to take a moment and just marinate in your goodness. Because regardless of what things look like, you are good. Regardless of what things feel like, you are good. Regardless of what our emotions are, Lord, you are good. You are faithful. You are loving, Lord. We thank you for that this morning. I just want to glorify you, Lord. I want not your goodness to be the hindsight, Lord, but I want your goodness to be the focus, Lord. Amen. And we focus on you today. We focus on who you are today. We focus, Lord, and we set ourselves aside, Lord, to set before the King of Kings and say, Lord, I'm here to serve you. Lord, I'm here to, to glean from you. Lord, I'm here. Have your way in me as we just sung. Lord, here I am. Here's my heart. Here's my life, Lord. Do with it what you must, and I will follow. So we give you glory today, for you are good. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. 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 Now, um, as I do share every week, for those of us online and those of us in here, um, as we watch that beautiful video of the reason why we give, you know, you can give to our ministry and you can text the word give to 1-833-414-0165. Um, you can give 
um, a reoccurring gift or you can give a one-time love donation. Whatever it is, whatever God lays on your heart to do, we are appreciative of it. And for us in here, the same, or you can tithe in the back there. Um, I think that's about it. <laughs> Looking over like, was there something I was missing? <laughs> but come on up, Pastor, man. And also don't forget to those that are in here and online to hit that share button. And uh, like I always said, you may be the Jesus that someone would ever see, and you wouldn't know it, and you may not even know it by just sharing our worship experience this morning. Let's go before the Father in prayer. If you're like me, you had a difficult week. Uh, if you're not like, not like me, you had a good week, which is amen for that, right? But uh, let's go before the Father in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you this, to today, Lord, and I thank you, Heavenly Father, for the opportunity to come into your house to worship you, Lord, to commune with you, Lord. Have, Lord, if it's one-on-one, -on -one, Heavenly Father, here, Lord, or one-on-one -on -one at our house, Heavenly Father, Lord, your word is good, and it says when two or three more together, you are in their presence, Lord, and you are in our midst right now, Heavenly Father. I ask you, Lord, wherever we may be at, Lord, meet us right here, right now, wherever we may be. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for the word that you've uh, given to me, Lord. I pray, Lord, that it's not my words, but it's your words, Heavenly Father. Allow it to have an impact on our lives, Heavenly Father, and let us focus on you, Lord. Nothing else in this world matters at all other than you. But I pray right now, Lord, that we tune in to you, Heavenly Father, and we thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do in this time and hour. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning, my sermon is titled, philosophy, philosophy, if you want to say. And today we're going to continue on the book of Acts. Uh, last three, actually, including today, the past three Sundays, we have been in Acts chapter 8, and we'll be wrapping up Acts chapter 8 this morning. But there's some, some key details that we need to pay attention and, and, and look at um, today. And we're going to be looking at a man named Philip, hence my sermon title, philosophy, right? And uh, say that 10 times fast. It's a tongue twister there. But this Philip is not the Apostle Philip. This Philip we see, we were introduced a few weeks ago. Actually, back in Acts chapter 6, we see Philip. And he was one of seven men that were chosen in Acts chapter 6. We see that the uh, apostles needed help. Twelve men can't do it alone, right? So they added seven more. And I, you know, it's, even the 19 man couldn't do it you know, as well. They, they needed more. And, uh, and, and so Phil, Philip was, was selected by the apostles to help serve. And the apostles, they were busy preaching, they were busy teaching, and so they needed help to, uh, to expand the church. And so these seven men were placed uh, uh, in, in charge of food ministry. They were placed to make sure the widows were taken care of, that people were tweet, treated uh, uh, equally, and that was their job. Philip was one of the seven who were chosen, and he was chosen because he was well-respected. He also was full of the Spirit. He also was full of wisdom. And we see that, that Philip also was selected along with another man we, we found a few weeks ago named Stephen, named Stephen. We know from the past couple of chapters, all these, these seven men did more than food ministry. These seven men went out and they preached also, and they, 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 they taught. Stephen didn't get, get stoned for passing out food, right? He got stoned for preaching the word of God. He got stoned for preaching 
Jesus. And we saw this a few weeks ago over this uh, uh, chapter 7 and chapter 8. It was the stoning of Stephen that kind of what launched the early church. It was the stoning of Stephen that, that made the disciples flee to Samaria and Judea and, and really fulfill the prophecy we see in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It was the stoning of Stephen that placed Philip in a place like Samaria, right? Last week, we looked at the Samaritan people, and we, we know that, that, that the Samaritan people and the Jews, they weren't buddy-buddy. They weren't elbows, elbows, right? They, they, were, they, they didn't like each other, right? The Jews uh, 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 viewed the Samaritans as half-breeds. You know, that's, that, that's not very nice. And they didn't look upon the, Jew, uh, the, the, the Samaritans as great people who they wanted to be friends with. We saw that God used Philip in a great way in Samaria. And this morning, I want us to take a look at Philip's life and how God had used him to do great things. I want us to see Acts chapter uh, uh, 8, verse 24 through 40, just as it doesn't apply just to Philip. I don't want us to look at that and say, well, that was a good story. And God used Philip in a great way. That's, that's great, pastor. That's a great, great thing. You know, it's time for us as a church to arise. It's time to us as a church, as individuals, to what, apply the word of God to our lives. It's not, it's not a fairy tale, right? The, 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 the world wants us to say it's, that's a fairy, fairy tale. That's a book that was generated 2,000 years ago with good morals. No, it's the active living word of God that still applies to our life today if we are willing to what? Apply it. And we have to apply it because the word of God applied to Philip's life. And guess what? The word of God also applies to whose life? Ours today, right? The word of God is active and living today. And I hope that we discover this morning, it wasn't just a unique experience for Philip, but it's a unique experience for each and every one of us if we're willing to go and do that, right? Be, to, to, to do what, what, what Philip did. I said this on many occasions, and I'll say it again. People like Philip were not put in the Bible because God needed space to fill. People like Philip were not put in the Bible because it was a good story and, and it fit perfectly well. People were placed in the Bible like Philip for us to live by and say, hey, if God did it in Philip's life, he can do it in our life. It's an example for us to point at people and say, hey, listen, the same God was then yesterday as he is today. And if he did it in Philip's life, guess what? He can do it in my life as well. Amen. And we have to really understand that and grasp hold on that. Every interaction, uh, interaction, every event is God-breathed in the Bible. It was there for a purpose. And that purpose is to be an example to what God can do in each one of our lives. If he did it for them, guess what? He can do it for who? He can do it for me. He can do it for you, right? He can do it for all of us. God continues to use humble men and humble women who walk and share by the Spirit's power, as Philip did, to accomplish extraordinary things. The question this morning is, will you be one of them? Will we be one of them? See, the choice is not up to God. The choice is up to us. Amen? It's up to us. Will we be one of those men and women that God uses in a mighty way? Will we be a Philip in 2021? There's three keys I want us to see this morning, found in verse uh, uh, chapter 8 of Acts, 
Verse, starting with verse 25, and I'll be reading out of the Amplified. So there's a little bit more beef there, a little bit more words there and just to, for us to, to really understand what's going on. It says, now then, the apostles had borne their testimony and preached the message of the Lord. They went back to Jerusalem proclaiming the glad tidings gospel to many villages of the Samaritans on the way. But an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and proceed southward or at midday on the road that runs from Jerusalem down to Gaza. This is the desert route, he says. Verse 27, so he got up and what did Philip do? He went, right? He went. The first key I want us to see is spirit-led obedience. It's spirit-led obedience. We need to be obedient. We need to obediently submit to the Spirit's leading. See, we see Philip living out God's mission. Even though the church was persecuted, we've, we've touched base and we've, we've nailed this the last few weeks. Even though the church was persecuted, that did not stop Philip from sharing his faith. Even though he was experiencing problems and, and tribulations and troubles, that did not stop Philip from what? Sharing his faith. Did not stop Philip from, from, from sharing Jesus, right? Sharing the gospel. It was Philip who helped fulfill God's prophecy through Jesus, what he said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, to share what uh, beyond Jerusalem, right? And it was Philip who helped in that particular prophecy. He was one of the first people on the scene of, of, of Samaria, right? The church was scattered. We learned this a few weeks ago. The church was scattered, and then the apostles came in, right? We, we see Peter and John show up. They all ministered in their own capacities, they all did great things. We see in, in, in chapter 8, we read it, right? People were healed. Uh, 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 people were saved. Lives are changed. We see this throughout Acts chapter 8. And now we just read that it's time for them to go. Time to go home. I tell you what, it's nice to leave. Well, I mean, if you're, if you're being persecuted, it's not nice to leave. But it's nice to go somewhere. But you know what also is nicer? To come home right? To come home in verse 25 tells us that the apostles were what? They were like, hey, we, we accomplished what God wanted in Samaria. You know what? We're going to go back home to Jerusalem. I want you to imagine this for just a moment, that you had to flee somewhere, maybe persecution, whatever. Flee for your life, just like Philip did. And you get to a city that you fled to, and you, you kind of make a home there, Things are starting to turn around. You know, the gospel is being shared. People are, are, are being saved. Things are going great. You're able to share the gospel. Had many impacts on many people's lives. The events that made you flee are now lessening. It's time to go back home. If you're Philip, you're like, hey, okay, time to go back to Jerusalem. I want to get back home, right? We all know the feeling. We all want to get back to some kind of normal life, right? Think about that. And, and, and so Philip wanted to go back home to Jerusalem, and God says, uh-uh, I got something else in store for you. Go, and I'm going to give you your next. Go down a different road. Go down the desert road and go to a place that I'm calling you to your next. I'll tell you, Philip was given the mandate to go to the south on a desert road that's less traveled. See, everything was going great for Philip's life. Philip was, was ministering. People were, were being saved. He was being obedient right where he was. But God says, hey, listen, you're going to be obedient in another area. 
I'm going to send you on another path. And what did we see Philip do? He said, okay. He, what, got up and went. Why would you leave a place that you were successful at? Why would you leave a place that was booming and then going from a booming place to a desolate desert? It didn't make any sense. It makes no sense. Leaving a fruitful ministry is foolish in man's perspective. But it's not if you're spirit-led by God. God says, go, we way. We say what? We'll go. We'll be obedient. Verse 27 tells us Philip was obedient in the spirit's leading. And it says, without hesitation, he didn't say, let me meditate on it for a week. He didn't say, let me make sure this is God. He heard the Lord's voice. And when the Lord said, go, he said, okay, I'm gone. I'll go. I'll be obedient. I was thinking about obedience this week in Philip's life. And, and I've thought about three truths I want us to see about obedience that hopefully we can understand, we can grasp, and we can grow from it. The first one, the first key in obedience is it's, it's unnatural. Obedience is unnatural. Obedience is what we learn, right? Obedience is unnatural. I, I thought back when my, my son, he's 13 now, but he was like six months you know, back in the day, 13 years ago, <laughs> we had DVDs, right? We all had DVDs on our shelves. Now we have Netflix and Hulu and all the other ones. But we had DVDs on our TV stand. We actually had a TV stand. It wasn't even on the wall, right? <laughs> and, and so we, he, he would go up, and as soon as he learned how to crawl, he would go and he would yank the DVDs off the shelf. Every single last one of them, he would yank them off. And of course, what would happen? We would go, we'd tell him, no, stop it. You know, give him a little pat on his hand. Sit him back, you know, in the area, and what? A few minutes later, he was where? Back at that TV stand, throwing those DVDs right back to it, right? We would have to tell him no, give him a little slap. Eventually, he learned what? He learned obedience. It was unnatural, right? He didn't know no difference. He thought it was fine until he learned obedience. Obedience does not come naturally. We're born into a sinful world. We're born as sinners. And let me tell you this, we all have a choice. God's given us free will. We all can say no, God, and, and also be disobedient to God, or we can say yes, God, and be obedient to God. See, the natural thing for Philip was when he was fleeing Jerusalem into Samaria, the natural thing would have been go hide. That would have been the natural thing. But he did the unnatural thing, which says, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to share God anyways. I don't care what's going on. He did the unnatural thing. The natural thing for Philip was to reject God and say, hey, listen, I've been in Samaria. Either one of two things, I go back home or I stay in Samaria. I'm not going down the desert road. I'm not doing that. It's unnatural, right, to be obedient. Why go down to the desert? natural thing was to live life. Then the natural thing for us is to live life how we want, where we want, Whatever, whatever it goes, it goes. And we live life like that, right? With, with, with no obedience. But the key is to be obedient. Look what, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. He says, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. I discipline my body. Why do we discipline I, going back to my son, why did I discipline? To what? To, to show him obedience. Why would Paul discipline his body? To show it what? Obedience. Amen? And so we have to sometimes discipline in certain areas so we can learn obedience. 
And the same thing with God, right? God says he disciplines us. Why? Because he loves us. If he didn't love us, he would never discipline. I tell my children all the time, I discipline you because I love you. Otherwise, if I didn't love you, I would send you on the 10 freeway to go play on it, right? You don't do that. Why? Because you love your children. Same way God loves us. Obedience is unnatural. The other thing we have to understand is obedience is uncomfortable. It's not comfortable. Obedience is uncomfortable. I don't think Paul was comfortable with disciplining his body. How many of us say, yeah, give me that discipline. I love it. We don't. We don't. We don't. Obedience is uncomfortable. I imagine Philip was uncomfortable when, when, when the Lord told him, hey, listen, you're going to go down to the desert road. You're going to go to a, a, a road that's uncomfortable. I imagine Philip probably had some kind of comfortability in Samaria. That was his home for I don't know how long. Right? He was comfortable around the people. People enjoyed him. They enjoyed the word that he was spreading. And now he's going to be uprooted and taken out of that area down to another area. Think about Joseph and Mary. Right? When the angel visited Joseph, and he says, So Joseph, hey, you know what? Take Mary as your wife. That was the unnatural thing to do, and that was the uncomfortable thing to do right? Joseph was young. Mary was young. It was uncomfortable. Think about, about Moses and his encounter with God at the burning bush. And, and in the burning bush, uh, 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 God tells Moses, guess what you're going to do? You're going to go free my people in Egypt. Moses killed somebody in Egypt. Who wants to sign up for that assignment? Let me go back to Egypt where I killed somebody. Yeah, that's comfortable. No, it's not. It's uncomfortable. You think about Gideon and the army of 300, that's uncomfortable. They were outnumbered in a huge amount. That was uncomfortable. I mean, Noah, when you think about Noah, you can go through all of them. They went through it, and, and, and obedience was uncomfortable. He was laughed at. Old man, what are you doing? Well, who had the last laugh? He was uncomfortable during the process. Imagine he was uncomfortable for the 40 days and 40 nights, but you know what? God still blessed him because of one thing. And that was what? Their obedience. Their obedience. Let me tell you, it's uncomfortable to be obedient to God in all things. God says, I want all of you. And we say, well, we only want to get 85%. God's saying, I want all of you. But that 15%, Lord, is uncomfortable. And he's saying, I want all of you, every aspect of you. I want your health. I want your finances. I want it all, he says. It's uncomfortable. Let me tell you this, it's uncomfortable to trust God and follow his plan because you know why? We get comfortable with our plan. We get comfortable with Dennis's plan and anything that wrecks Dennis's plan is uncomfortable and I don't want to do it. We don't want to do it. It's uncomfortable to break bad habits or any habit. It's, a, it's uncomfortable to commit our health to God and say, you know what? I'm going to treat my body as a temple right, of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit resides in me. But Dennis wants to do what he wants to do, how he wants to do it. And that's how Dennis gets in bad health, right? It's uncomfortable to commit our finances to God and say, okay, Lord, I want to put you first in everything. I'm going to put you first in my money. I'm going to put you first in my spending habits. That's uncomfortable because we want control of it. But you know what? It was never ours in the first place. And we wonder why we're in a financial mess. It's because we have not been willing to be uncomfortable. We want comfort. Let me tell you, it's uncomfortable to go to a distant land. 
It's uncomfortable to go to a stranger, especially in 2021 with their mask on and I don't know how to approach you, right? What are we going to do? You know, hey, how's it going? You know, keep your hands back, whatever. It's uncomfortable, but you know what we're called to do? To go continue spreading the word of God. Obedience is uncomfortable, but it's daring this uncomfortableness that growth happens. Growth happens. Think about my, 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 my children. You know, I mean, our Kingslands, we're big kids, right? My son's always constantly, oh, my knee hurts, my back hurts, my this hurts, my that hurts. Dude, you're growing. It's uncomfortable. But when you're 6'4", athlete, you know, you're not going to be like, oh, man, that was, you know. No, it was that. I'm glad I went to that uncomfortableness. And it's every aspect of our lives. You know, how does a muscle grow? We tear it down. We make it agitated. We, and we make it uncomfortable for what? Growth to happen. In the same way, that same principle is applied to our lives. Obedience may be uncomfortable, but if we want to go and we want God to work in our lives, guess what? We got to get uncomfortable. Amen? We have to get uncomfortable. The third one, obedience is unapparent. It's unapparent. It wasn't apparent to Philip what was going to be met at the desert road. God didn't tell him, go down to the desert road and you're going to find this and this and this and this and this is how it's going to go and this is how it's going to be. He didn't tell him nothing. He told him, get up, go down to the desert road. And he said, okay. Nothing else. Nothing else. The desert road, what does the desert road represent? It represents emptiness. It represents hardship. It represents desolation. It's uncomfortable, Right? God was taking Philip from a productive city to the unknown. God was taking Philip from a, a productive ministry to the unknown, the unseen, the unapparent. It wasn't apparent to him. It's never apparent why we go through desert experiences in life. Some of us, it takes 40 years like the Israelites. Never came apparent to them. They lost a whole entire generation because it wasn't unparent. It was uncomfortable. They whined the entire time, and they lost a generation because of it. Let me tell you, do we like our desert experiences? No one says, sign me up. None of us like the desert experiences. But God is not going to lay everything out to us because if he did, guess what? We don't need faith. God says, hey, Dennis, this is how, this is how the next five years I think, I think if God ever did that to us, you know what we would say? Is there another road to take? <laughs> I don't want to take that road, right? Or sometimes we look at it and, and we see the, the outcome of it, which we'll get to in a minute, and we see the outcome of it and we're like, hey, I want that outcome. But I don't want to go to, to, through the uncomfortableness to get there. I don't want to go through the unseen to get there. See, later on in life, have you heard the aha moments? Where God is taking you somewhere, and, and, and it's uncomfortable, and, and uh, uh, it's unseen, unnatural. And then you get to the very end of it, and you say, uh-huh. I see God's hand on my life. I see why I went through these desert experiences. Now I see it. And you know what we do all the time when that happens? We don't say, oh, God, that was horrible, right? We say, oh, praise God, right? Praise God. Praise God that he was with me. Let me tell you this. If we remain obedient in the unparent, then we will experience what Philip will experience right now. Follow me along in verse 27. He says, so he got up and went. And behold, the Ethiopian, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, 
the queen of Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was now returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading the book of the prophet Isaiah. Then the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go forward and join yourself to his chariot. Accordingly, Philip, running up to him, heard the man reading the prophet Isaiah and asked, do you really understand what you are reading? And he said, how is it possible for me to do so unless someone explains it to me and guides me in the right direction or in the right way? And he earnestly requested Philip to come up and sit beside him. Spirit-led obedience leads to spirit-led opportunities. Spirit-led obedience leads to spirit-led opportunities. Philip was obedient. He went up and he got up and, 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 and went. But let me tell you, obedience is not just the one-time event. That one time when I was obedient to God, no, no, no. That continuous, continually being obedient to God. It wasn't a one-time event for Philip. Philip's on this desert road, right? God sent him on this desert road, unseen. And lo and behold, he has this Ethiopian, right? This Ethiopian is coming the other direction, and they meet up. And he hears the, 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 the book of the prophet Isaiah being read by this Ethiopian. And he meets up with him. And God tells him what? He says, go to his chariot. Talk with him. Have a conversation with him. It was an opportunity for Philip to spread the gospel. And what does Philip do? All right, Lord, I'll be obedient. I'll be obedient. The Holy Spirit said, go. Go speak to him. He says, okay, I will. Obedience doesn't stop. It's a continuing thing, right? Obedience doesn't stop. I don't care if you're zero or a hundred. Obedience doesn't stop. It's through obedience that we receive opportunities. See, we, 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 we want the opportunities. We want to be used by God greatly. And I've been in this situation before. And I said, God, use me greatly. And he said, I want your obedience. And we step back, oh, wait, don't touch that area of my life. But I want you, God, okay, I want your obedience. I'll provide you the spirit-led opportunities, but I want your spirit-led obedience. That's what he's saying. Starts with obedience. Check this out. If Philip never stepped out of obedience and left Samaria, he would never found himself on the desert road. If he never found himself on the desert road, he would have never met the Ethiopian. If he never met the Ethiopian, I'm getting ahead of myself, the old Ethiopian would have never been saved that particular day. But it all started... The opportunity all started with what? Obedience. Obedience. Check this out. Ethiopia was considered the ends of the world during that time. Okay? The ends of the world. Remember Acts 1, verse 8? It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is Jesus' final words before he ascended. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when did the Holy Spirit come upon them? The day of Pentecost, right? Check the box, right? And then Jesus says, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem. Check the box, they're already in Jerusalem. He says, into Samaria and to Judea. Well, the, 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 the stoning of Stephen put that into play. And now again, it was them now in, in Samaria and Judea. That's where they're coming from. And then he goes, and to the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth during that time is what? 
Ethiopia. That's what was, Ethiopia was viewed as. It. So at this particular time and age, he didn't have to go to Ethiopia to bring the gospel to the ends of the world. He actually was going down the desert path, found the opportunity that was the spare-led opportunity, witnessed to the Ethiopian, and again, the Ethiopian was saved. Amen? Think about that. He reaches this man. He hears the man reading the book of Isaiah. And the Holy Spirit directs him. He says, go to the chariot. He says, go to the chariot. And what does Philip do? He goes. He goes. But let me tell you this. This is interesting. He says, go to the chariot. And Philip doesn't say, well, you know, it's an Ethiopian. We're in the desert world. He may mug me. He doesn't do none of that, right? It's unsafe nowadays on these desert roads. You just never know people, right? How many of us said that, right? You just never know. He can't talk to anybody nowadays, right? We've all said that, right? We're all laughing because I'm the guilty of it. I don't know. Maybe they carjacked me or whatever it may be. Maybe they have a gun or a knife and I'm dead, right? And all these serious situations play through. If the Ethiopian killed Philip, no one would have found Philip. He wouldn't be talking about Philip today and he'd be done and over with, right? But you think about that. That's what we think about. But there was no hesitation. He didn't ask a question. He didn't say, well, God, let me meditate on it in a few days. And you know what? Seven days from now, if I'm on the same desert road, I meet up with the Ethiopian, then I will actually meet him again. Because then at that point, it's you. You told me to do this, right? No, he told you to do it in the first place. Do it, right? Be obedient. And what does he do? He doesn't walk haphazardly. He doesn't just moan and walk around, and maybe or maybe not. The Bible tells us that what? He runs. He runs to the chariots. How many of us are running after people with eagerness and urgency? I said this last week about eagerness, right? Uh, Philip was, was giving the word, and, and the Samaritans were eager to hear it. Now we, we see that Philip was eager to give the word. The word. He sees an opportunity to give the word, and he runs towards it. Let me tell you, when we are obedient, God will open doors of opportunity. When he opens doors of opportunity, we must receive it and walk through it. Amen? When the doors of opportunity are open, we must be willing to step through it. Let me tell you, this Ethiopian man was an important official. He was in charge of the treasury of the queen of Ethiopia. This man was something along the lines of the minister of finances, right? CFO, whatever you want to call him. Paulie was a God-fearing man because we see that he has a, uh, uh, he's coming from Jerusalem. He has a scroll of Isaiah. He was powerful. He was rich. Riding in the chariot. I mean, that's, that's all just like bougie, right? It's all rich. You know, we were in Orange County yesterday. My, my son was, was counting out Teslas. He's man, everyone driving the Tesla, right? But, you know, it, it's not a common car in our area. You know, the, the chariot wasn't a common, car, uh, common uh, uh, thing in that day. Everybody was just riding chariots back and forth. Didn't happen, right? No, everyone didn't have scrolls. Everyone didn't have Bibles. It wasn't, there was no copier machine. There was no printer. There was no Walmart and go buy yourself $9.99. The Gideons weren't there passing out free Bibles. It didn't happen. It was a handwritten, and it was expensive to receive a handwritten scroll. There was no Uber and Lyft. He didn't Uber and Lyft over there. It didn't happen, right? And he was reading off this scroll that someone handwritten, but none of that mattered to Philip. See, when opportunity presented itself, Philip received the opportunity. He said, okay, I'm going to do it. Let me tell you this. At that particular moment, culture didn't matter. 
At that particular moment, race didn't matter. At that particular moment, social economic standards didn't matter because Philip was poor and this Ethiopian was rich. Tell me a poor man can't teach a rich man something, right? Nothing was going to deter Philip from spreading Jesus when given the opportunity, and he stepped out, and he stepped out with boldness. There's two things I wanted to see about opportunity that we must really grasp and understand. The first one is we have, we, we have the opportunity to plant. We can be a seed planter. Say, I'm a seed planter. I'm a seed planter. You see this Ethiopian man. What do you have in his hands? A scroll. Of who? Isaiah. Okay? So think about that. This Ethiopian man wasn't in a bookstore and goes, mm, eeny, meeny, miny, more. let me get that one. He, he picked out the scroll of Isaiah. Somebody along the lines, somewhere, maybe in Jerusalem, maybe on the desert road down to Jerusalem, who knows what's going on, but somebody did what? Planted a seed. Somebody planted a seed in this Ethiopian man's life. Somewhere down the line, someone took the opportunity and planted the seed, right? We must understand is there needs to be people who plant seeds. There needs to be people who plant seeds. See, you, 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 you may never witness the harvesting of that seed that you planted. But let me tell you, that's okay. Because some of us are called to be seed barriers. Some of us are called to be harvesters. Some of us are called to do both. But let me tell you, seed planting is a must. Let me tell you, not everyone who heard Philip's message about Jesus was saved. But guess what that was? Seeds being planted. Okay? And if you think any difference, not everybody who heard Jesus accepted Jesus. But was Jesus, he was a harvester and he was a planter. Think about that. Jesus, the people who rejected Jesus, guess what they received that, 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 that day? They received seeds. Whether it grew then or grew later on, they still received seeds. Ecclesiastes 11, 6 tells us, plant your seed. Someone say plant your seed. Plant your seed in the morning and keep busy all afternoon for you don't know if it will what? Profits. Uh, if profit will come from one activity, the seed planting or another, the harvesting or from what? From both. You don't know, so you do it, right, out of obedience when presented with the opportunity. Amen? What are we doing with the opportunities to plant seed? The second key of opportunities is to what? Harvest. There's the seed planting and there's the harvesting. See, many of you, if you fill up, as, as, a, as, a, as a harvester and a seed planter, okay? And I, I'll probably view him as well. But you know what? Philip was probably more of a harvester than a seed planter. He was probably more of a harvester than a seed planter. See, Samaria, we've touched on this uh, earlier, and we touched on this last week. Samaria wasn't the popular place to be, right? And we can look at, well, he went to Samaria, and he planted a seed, and it harvested, and God worked. You know who planted the seed in Samaria? Jesus. Jesus planted the seed in Samaria, and what did Philip and the, and the apostles, they showed up and they were harvesters, right? As much as we want to say they were seed barriers, they were harvesters, and they were harvesting off of whose seed? Jesus' seed when he spoke to the Samarian people because the other Jews didn't want to do it. So he did it. 
And when the other disciples had to go because they were put in an uncomfortable spot because they were persecuting Jerusalem, they went to the uncomfortable spot in Samaria and it just went, it blew up like fire. Why? Because of the seeds that Jesus planted before them. Amen. And so when you think about it, even the Ethiopian man received a seed from somewhere. Philip shows up and Philip does what? I'm going to harvest this seed that somebody else already planted. Amen. Opportunities are to plant seed and also to what harvest. 1 Corinthians 3, 6-7, Paul says this, I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollo watered it. Paul, the seed planter, Apollos, the harvester, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. What are we doing with the opportunities that God has given to us? How many spirit-led opportunities have we missed because we have been too stuck in disobedience? We've missed opportunities because we've been disobedient. We hemmed hop around. We've made up the own situation, the own scenario in our minds. We've questioned God. We didn't step out in faith, and we were disobedient. And I'm not pointing any finger at anybody but I'm pointing it at myself because I've done it. We've all done it. Let's be real. We've all done it. We all have him hot around, especially in 2020 and 2021, right? We've all done it. Let me tell you the third thing. Verse 34, it says, And the eunuch said to Philip, I beg of you, tell me about whom does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began with a portion of scripture, he announced to him the glad tidings, which is the gospel of Jesus and about him. And as they continued along on the way, they came to some water and the eunuch exclaimed, see, here is water. What is to hinder my being baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your hearts, if you have conviction, full, I love this, full of joyful trust that Jesus is the Messiah and accept him as the author of your salvation in the kingdom of God, giving him your obedience, then you may. He replied, I do believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he ordered that the chariot be stopped. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. Let me tell you, spirit-led obedience turns into spirit-led opportunities, which lead us to spirit-led outcomes. Spirit-led outcomes. It was Philip's obedience that led to the opportunity for him to speak to this Ethiopian man, and that opportunity led to the outcome, which was this Ethiopian man hearing about Jesus, being baptized, and being saved. But it all started with one key. And that was what? Obedience. Obedience turns into opportunity to turn to outcome. And let me tell you, it's his outcome, not yours. So when the outcome looks different than what you thought, maybe you thought wrong. Because it's not your outcome, it's his outcome. It's what he wants, not us. Amen? This man received Jesus in the middle of the desert. Baptize me, he said. Philip could have said, well, you know what? It's getting dark. I got to get going. Streetlights. My mama says streetlights go out. I got to get home, right? I don't have time to baptize you, right? 2021, we say, oh, man, that water, uh-uh. it might have parasites in it. No, I'm good. Straight. I'm good. Ain't happening, right? 
Come on, you know, we all make the dumb excuses up, make up his own story in our heads. The outcome in our life needs to be one thing. It needs to be Jesus. Obedience turns into opportunity, turns into spirit-led outcomes. This morning, I want to close with this. I want to remind you that your obedience turns into what? Opportunities turns into what? Outcomes. Amen? Philip learned this. Throughout the Bible, we can look at any Bible character. Their obedience turned into opportunities, turned into outcomes. Amen? The challenge for us is will we learn it? Will we apply it to our own lives? See, the difficulty is we all want the outcome. We all want the opportunities. But are we willing to give the obedience? That's the key. I want the outcome. I want the opportunities. But are we willing to be obedient to God? Stand with me as I close in prayer. If it happened in Philip's life, guess what? It can happen in whose life? You got to sound more convinced than that, right? I know we're a mask up in here, but we can be a little louder. If God did it for Philip's life, he can do it with what? In my life, right? You at home, put it in the chat, right? Right? Put, you know, put it in the chat. God can do it in my life, right? God did it in Philip's life. He can do it in my life if I'm willing to give him, what is it? O- o- obedience. Okay? We got to sound a little more excited about obedience. I know we go, oh, God, man, Pastor, you smashed my toe, and it hurts, right? Just recovered from the last smashing. God wants our what? Obedience, obedience that will turn into what? Opportunities that will result in what? His outcomes. Amen. Heavenly Father, I come before you today, Lord Jesus, and I thank you, Lord, for your word. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your example, Lord, and, and Philip, Lord. You placed it in, the, in, in, in our scripture, Lord, this particular day because we need it, Heavenly Father. We need to be obedient in every aspect of our lives, Lord. You don't want 99. You want 101, Lord. I, I pray right now, Lord, that if we're not giving the 101, Lord, that we, we submit to you, Heavenly Father, in all aspects of our life, Lord, that we are obedient, Lord, knowing that you are faithful and just, Lord. You provide the opportunities and you provide your outcome, Lord, but it all starts with our obedience, Lord. I ask you right now, Lord, that if you need to convict our hearts, Lord, step on our toes, Lord, pluck us, prod us, Lord, adjust us, shift us, whatever it needs to happen, Heavenly Father, for you to allow us, Heavenly Father, to be obedient to you, Lord. Discipline us in the areas that need to be disciplined, Lord. Correct us in the area... The areas that need to be correcting, Heavenly Father. I pray, Lord, right now, Lord, that we submit to you, Lord. And if we haven't been, it's not too late. We can start right here and right now. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for that. Lord, I pray, Lord, that as we are obedient this week to you, Lord, you will provide us with spirit-led opportunities, Heavenly Father, and you will provide us with spirit-led outcomes, Lord, and things that only you can do. We're trusting, we're believing, we're receiving. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church says, amen, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Happy Valentine's Day.